was just curious. I don't see you. Where are you? Oh, they're all asleep. Yeah, Werner's. <laughs> right. <laughs> you put all those kids to shame. You're here this morning. And, and, uh, and I was so impressed. You know, you know, Andrew, Pastor Andrew had an event last night that went till 6 a.m., was it or so, you know? So, uh, and Josh Welch, you were helping, I believe, right? And, and you guys are like the first ones to stand up. Whenever Heather said stand, you guys were like up. I was like, what happened to the rest of the church? You know, like, we have no excuse. <laughs> so, um, that's great, though. That's great. Um, I'm going to grab a music stand. Uh-oh. Losing stuff. All right. Um, if you didn't get a bulletin this morning, our printer went out on Friday, uh, so that's never fun, never good, but um, hopefully you got one and you have some notes. If not, you can write on your neighbor's back, and uh, I, don't, I don't know what you'll do, but um, figure something out there. Um, and thinking about how to follow up Easter and uh, thinking about what Christ means and, and who we are supposed to be in light of that, I want to spend two weeks, just do a two-parter, on discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? This week I want to answer the question, what's a disciple? Uh, what was that supposed to be? You know, we kind of throw that word around a lot. And then next week I, I want to come at the perhaps even harder question of, well then how do we make disciples? And are we doing a good job at that? Those are kind of, kind of hard questions and heavy to answer. You know, how, how are we doing? But I want to ask those questions. So today is what is a disciple? So I want, I want to jump right in and have you go to Luke chapter 14. Would you go there? Luke chapter 14. If you're new to finding your way around the Bible, you know, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke. You've got those four Gospels kind of at the front of your New Testament. So you're definitely over halfway, but you're in the New Testament there. Uh, Luke chapter 14. is the blue Bible in the pew in front of you also if you need one. Okay. Let's look at verse 25. Here we go. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and he was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go out to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he'll send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It's thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, there's a pleasant passage. You've got three times Jesus saying, 
You can't be my disciple. Three times he says it there. You can't be my disciple. I wanted to, I wanted to name this sermon, You Can't Be My Disciple, you know? Or, or Jesus, the disciple Nazi, you know? Like, no, no discipleship for you, you know? It's like, well, what, what's going on here, you know? I mean, why, why these extreme words? Because I think usually in the church, it's, it's like, come one, come all. We say, come as you are. And none of those things are wrong. But Jesus clearly, like, ratchets up the... The, the, the bar here and says, yeah, the, this is where it's at. You want to follow me? It's up here. And it's not easy. You can't be my disciple. It's kind of like, I don't know if you watch, uh, how many of you watch Shark Tank? Have you seen that show? You know? Right, right. Okay. So, so you're like a, a business owner or you have a great invention and you go in front of these, this, these group of multi-million dollar business owners and leaders, right? So you've got these well-known people that have lots of money and they may invest in your company or not. They may give you money or not. And you might have a great idea and a great invention, but no profits. And maybe they'll trust you because of, of your invention. But sometimes they'll say, well, how are people responding to this? How's your business doing? We want to see if we want to put more money into it or not so we can yield some of the results. But you watch these people that come in there, and they can be so passionate about a product that they've invented, you know? Like, like they, they did this, and they love it, and, and then they get in front of in the shark tank, and they're like, no, this is terrible. You know, you haven't thought this through at all. But nobody wants this. And, and they just shoot them down. And I can be like, you know, I, I might have any intention to watch the show, you know, but if it's on... I could be like reading and like suddenly I'm just drawn in because there's something about that brutal honesty, isn't there? You know, like just just telling people what they don't see. Maybe I just want to be mean and I'm not. I, I, I don't know what it is, but, but I watch that show and I'm like, yeah, they're just telling it like it is. And if it's a bad idea, it's a bad idea. This is the way it is. And, and I, think, I think that's what's going on here in a sense. You've got in verse 25 these large crowds traveling with Jesus because Jesus does miracles because he's popular because his teaching is is is, is really crazy you know and 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 you got to hear this guy teach he teaches with authority nobody talks like this and so they got all of these crowds and then Jesus starts to tell them things that are a lot harder i mean he just tells it like it is and i, I don't i don't see the whole i don't see like a postscript to this like and then people went home but I imagine some people went home. You know, you, you, you raise the bar up here and say, you can't be my disciple unless fill in the blank. Now, what I want to do this morning then is uh, talk about what a disciple is. And maybe we should say from the, from the get-go here that clearly, if you read this passage, you get the impression that disciples are completely committed followers of Jesus. That, that's kind of where I'm going with this. I mean, everything we're going to say today is disciples are completely committed followers of Jesus. You've got to hate your father and mother, hate your wife. You've got to give up everything you have. You've got to pick up your cross, an instrument of torture and death, and carry it yourself. I mean, you can see, you want to follow me, you've got to be completely, 100% committed. That's it. But how he explains it, is definitely worth thinking about. Um, G.K. Chesterton has a great quote I'd like uh, also to share with you. Um, he says, The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. 
think it's a good way to say it. I mean, bottom line, one of the things that keeps people from embracing the faith of, of, of Christianity, I mean, as, as attractive as Jesus is on some levels, his love is extremely attractive, right? But on another level, it's really hard because it's a call to die to yourself, and that's never easy. And so people do find it difficult, and it's been left untried. Okay, um, what I want to do then is call your attention to the three, the three things Jesus says here about you can't be my disciple unless you, and, and, and then he gives them a word. Um, what Jesus wants us to do is to be like someone who's building a tower and asking yourself, do I have the money to finish this project? Do, do I really know what I'm getting into? Now, I realize how ironic that can seem because I'm preaching to the church and the church, I'm guessing you guys are in. A lot of you are members of this church. So you've been through the interview process. You've shared your testimony. You belong to Christ. So for you, this might be like a, how am I doing with this? Am, am I really following the master like I should? Which is interesting because for you, counting the cost is more of reminding yourself of the cost because you're in. And I hope you're not out after this. <laughs> so it's a reminder of, of what you've signed up for in receiving Christ as Savior and calling Him King. Okay, so let's take a look at it. You can't be my disciple. Uh, if you look at verse 26, the first one Jesus says is, If anyone comes to me and does not hate, hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. I hope none of you read that and go, finally, I found the verse that says I can hate the in-laws. There, there it is. Right there. Right there. Or you said, I always knew my wife drove me crazy, and now Jesus has given me permission to, you know. <laughs> now, we, we read this and we go, certainly this is exaggeration. And by the way, rabbis, I mean, there's a whole thing called, you know, rabbinic hyperbole. You know, rabbis love to teach in these, in these exaggerated ways to make a, a, a really great point. So Jesus says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Well, we also know Jesus says that sin starts in the heart. You know, this, this is where all this junk comes from. So is it really the right hand or is it the heart? Well, no, he's making a point, And he's making the point by saying, cut your hand off. You know, so, so we understand Jesus teaches this way. On the other hand... You ought to be careful whenever you read the Bible and say, oh, that's all cultural. That's all exaggeration. You know what I mean? Like you read it and you go, I know that's not what it means. How do you know that's not what it means? I challenge anybody, if you just read it, in other words, if you're in a Bible study and, and, and you're reading a passage like this and somebody says, oh, that, he doesn't mean hate. That's not how it works. Keep going. You've got to ask yourself, why does it not mean that thing? You ought to be able to prove biblically why you shouldn't take that literally. Why? Scripture, uh, we compare Scripture with Scripture, so that's how we answer these questions. So here's some things that I read over the week in thinking about this. Ephesians 5.25, you know, says, Husbands, love your wives. Right? So, I can't hate my wife in this passage and love her in Ephesians 5. Something's not right there. Or you think of uh, 
Um, how about this? Verse John 3.15, Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. So clearly this can't mean hate the way we think of hate. It, it can't mean that. Biblically speaking, you can't go there. So what does it mean? Well, can we pull up Matthew 10:37? Matthew 10:37 says, "Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me." That's probably the clear bottom line. How do you interpret Jesus' words? Well, you use other words of Jesus's to interpret these words. And Jesus also said, if you love anyone more than me, you're not worthy of me. You can't be my disciple. So what he's talking about here is when it comes to your discipleship, your following of Jesus, he's talking about the realm of relationships. The issue is relationships. If you're taking notes, there's a blank there for that. The issue is relationships. You have a mom and a dad. You have a spouse. You have kids. And you're completely committed to them. You love them. You listen to them. You spend time with them. You serve them. You honor them. All these good things. But Jesus says, no, I get the top place though. I get the top spot. So let's say it like this. The disciple has no rivals. The disciple has no rivals. Nobody takes the spot of Jesus. Now, um, I never saw this so clearly as I did I, uh, for a year, two years. I worked at Hartgrove Hospital in Chicago. That was my personal Christian ministry that all Moody students do. did it for two years. And uh, I, we would go to this, it was a psychiatric hospital. Adult wing, kids wing. Uh, my roommate was in the adult wing, and that was super intense. <laughs> I was in the children's wing, and that was super sad. Because I could be sitting down, and it was, I was leading a voluntary Bible study, meaning voluntary, if, this, if a kid wanted to come to our Bible study, they could come. They were not forced to. And I would sit there, and in the same room, I would have aggressive, angry, abusive children that you would, you know, <laughs> the kind that had done things that uh, would get you sent to a psychiatric hospital, like locking your teacher in the closet or, you know, whatever. I mean, pulling a knife on somebody. These kind of stories were being told. And then also in the same room, I would have kids who, and maybe these were the same kids. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying, that, I'm not trying to split them up that clearly, but kids that were abused, you know, clearly just beaten down hurting kids, victims. They're probably all victims in that room, but, but you know what I mean. You could, you could see the difference in the, in the two types. And uh, I remember a, we had a time at the end of every Bible study where we said, you can ask any question you want. And uh, that, that, that always, we always got questions, and, and usually they were heartbreaking. And one kid asked, if my parent tells me to go into a store and steal something, should I do it? Because I know I'm going to get in trouble. And, and, and whatever goes with that. I don't remember if he shared what happens when he gets in trouble. But for him, that was the issue. 
pre-adolescent, between 8 and 12 years old, these kids were in these, that age range. Should I steal? And I thought, that illustrates in a very extreme way this choice between obeying Christ and loving him and valuing him most or this relationship between you and a parent and doing what they want. And I, maybe it doesn't... I was thinking about this all week long. Like, how many instances have I really thought, do I obey Christ or do I obey this family member? And I can't think of really anything like that. And maybe that's the result of growing up in a Christian family. Maybe you have much better examples of, I know I could do this my parents' way, or I could do this Christ's way. I know that I could do this my spouse's way, which is unethical. I've heard of those stories, (laughs) you know, when you know your spouse is doing your taxes and, and, and they're not being honest, and you're like, what do I do? What do I, you know, man, what do I do? Sometimes there is that black and white. Do I follow Jesus or follow this person? Probably more often it's what do you val- who do you value the most? What's the most important relationship in your life? And then do you reflect that by spending time with that person? If Jesus is the most important person in your life, then I'd expect you spend time with him, you talk to him, you serve him, you love him. That, that, that reflects in your life. So Jesus has no rivals. For his, with his disciples. Second one. The second word Jesus has for us today is in verse 27. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So if you take this literally, what is he asking you? The word is, carry your cross. We don't crucify people in America, so that's a little hard to do. You could build a cross and carry it around. I've seen people do that in this country. Maybe you have too. Um, Does he mean that? We should build crosses and carry them and proclaim them to people. Well, you could take that literally. Here's why I don't. I think it is figurative. Um, If you take it literally, cross carriers are people that are convicted by Rome and they're on their way to execution. That's what a cross carrier is. You go out to die. Well, hard to share your faith when you're about to die. Hard to live like Romans 12:18 says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Hard to live at peace with everyone when you're creating enough trouble that you get crucified, you know? So, you know, 1 Timothy 2:1 says we're supposed to pray for people in authority. Uh, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. There's nothing quiet about a crucifixion. It's an ugly public affair. So I don't think he means pick up a cross and, and start carrying it around, try to be executed by the government. We, can't, we, we don't go there. Well, how do we deal with this? Let's deal with it this way. Uh, can we bring up Matthew 26, 39? Going a little further He fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Not as I will, but as you will. I think that is the key to interpreting this verse, carry your cross, whose will be done. The issue then, the issue is rule. Rule. Who will rule your life? Who makes the decisions in your life? Who controls what you do? Who's king? Because 
if Jesus says, pick up your cross, then even if, I, if I'm taking this metaphorically, figuratively, then I'm picturing a cross here with my name on it, and it has something very negative and nasty and hard, and Jesus says, go ahead, pick it up. And I can either pick it up or I can look at him and say, not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not pick- that hurts. I'm not picking that up. No way. Voluntarily? No. I'd rather be comfortable than pick that thing up. All of you that are parents, remember remember that stage where your kids go from like completely, um, maybe they were never submissive, I don't know, but remember that stage when you could like, anything you said, it seemed like your child's young enough, they just have to do it. They're just kind of compliant. Here, you want to eat this? They eat it. Yeah, they even ate those nasty mushed up peas and they didn't say anything. But there comes the day when mushed up peas are not good. And you put real peas on, they just look at it and look at you and no, no way. Remember that day, the first day when they sat at that table, they looked at you and I am not eating that. And they tried to slip it to the dog. Grayson's doing that now. Can you believe that? Tisha, our dog comes over to the table and just whines when he eats. Just whines because she knows none of us are going to give her food like that. But Grayson, he will throw, and he's got a good arm. Have you seen him throw? And he can throw that thing, uh, whatever that is. There comes a day in your faith when you get old enough in the faith to realize, I think I can follow Jesus and not pick this thing up. I don't have to eat this. It'd be a lot easier if I didn't. And so you say no to whatever difficult thing Christ is asking you to do. We all have a cross to bear. And if I'm being if I'm if I'm looking at the text correctly, I don't think he's talking about just plain old suffering like I broke my leg suffering. I think he's talking about discipleship things that you do because you love Jesus and bad things happen because you do it. People push back. I don't want to hear that. I'm not talking to you anymore. Those kind of things. And so you can say, not eating that again, not opening my mouth up again, because I know what happens when I do that. Or you can keep lovingly, loving people, telling them the truth gently, and getting pushed back. You can keep doing that, and keep picking up your cross. You can start looking at your sin and saying, It'd be a lot easier if I didn't have to reject that and deny myself and and put that away. Or I could do the harder work of confessing my sin to a brother or a sister and getting help and stopping. And it may be really hard for you to tell someone what you're dealing with, but you do it because you pick up your cross and follow Jesus and you're crucified to the world. Jesus is going to ask you to do things you don't naturally want to do. Will you do them? That is the question. So, um, and maybe I didn't get the point on the screen here, but the disciple has no refusals. The disciple has no refusals. You don't get to say, no, I'm not eating that. Use a biblical expression. The disciple doesn't get to say, that cup that you're offering me, not drinking out of it. 
not doing it. But the funny thing is, we're all old enough, most of us are old enough in the faith to know we can still call ourselves Christians and say no to those hard things that he asks us to do. And oh, that we would not. Finally. Oh, by the way, one more verse on that. I can't, I can't not read this. This is 2 Corinthians 6, 4. Would you just go there? You should read this. You should read this with your own eyes on the page. 2 Corinthians 6, 4. I mean, yeah. Second <clears throat> Corinthians six four. You can keep your finger in Luke. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, impurity understanding, patience, and kindness in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. You know, there's a good list of, of cross-like things. Some of them you read and you go, I got that. I've, I'm doing some of that. Other things you may never face because no one's ever going to throw you in prison in this country until you say yes to doing missions work in a country where, where they might imprison you. A uh, friend that's a missionary in Turkey, you know, and he, he'd come back to the United States and share stories and they would just be stories that would make your heart almost stop, you know, like... A friend of his in Turkey that was taken prisoner, tortured, and killed. And it's like, you know, and you're going back there? Checking your car for car bombs? And you're going back there? Yeah, I'm only here for a short time. You know, it's like, um, would you say yes if you heard the call, though? I think that's the question. Not that we're all called to go there and do that, but would you say yes if you heard it? And do you say yes to the things you do here? Um, last word on that. Uh, the, the other verse I, I should definitely read, you know, is the one we all know. Uh, Philippians 4.11. Uh, Paul says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every, any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do everything through him who gives me Strength. Right? Philippians 4.13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And what he's talking about is suffering. Pushback from people. There it is. Okay. Um, lastly. Lastly. Another hard word. He talks about the builder of the tower that should consider the cost. He talks about the king in verse 31. Who should think about, do I really have enough people to fight this battle? And then he says in verse 33, In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. You have to give up everything you have. Everything you have. And again I ask, 
Should we take this literally? Should we give up everything we have? To the rich young ruler, the rich young man, he said, sell everything you've got, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And the guy walks away because he's rich. And, and I think any time you read that, you should ask, is that what he's calling us to do? Riches. Give them up. First Timothy 6.17 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth. He doesn't say, have them give all of their wealth away. Jesus in Matthew 6, we'll put that up on the screen, says, No one can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. And if Scripture interprets Scripture, I don't see the Apostle Paul saying to rich people, sell everything you've got. Remember Jesus speaking to the Laodicean church, you're rich, but I counsel you to buy gold from me. Because actually you're poor, blind, and naked, you know? Remember he says that to the Laodicean church? He doesn't say give up everything you've got. He doesn't say sell everything. He says, I've got something that you need that's more rich than what you've got. So the issue is our resources, our stuff, right? Houses we own, vehicles we own, fun stuff we own. The money in the bank account, the paycheck, all of our resources, all of our stuff. And he says, give it up. Give it up. Or else you cannot be my disciple. So let's put it this way. The disciple has no riches. The disciple has no riches. What does that mean? It means that if I look at all the things that I own, I do not count them as mine. They're God's. They belong to Him. And I don't count them as riches. I don't count them as things that give me status. Right? We talked about status earlier this month. They're not things that I hold on to as treasure because if God is my treasure, then those things are not. If God is my treasure, then my house is not. My boat is not. My car is not. My bank account is not. It's God's stuff. If God is my riches, then everything that I own belongs to Him. And I don't count them as really that valuable. I don't. That's what a disciple does. It's how you look at what you have. And if it belongs to God, then when you hear God say, part with it, you're able to part with it. Can, can, can I use you for an example, Mujia? Is that all right? We talked about this yesterday a little bit. Uh, we were painting. Uh, Mujia's moving. Uh, the Carrie and Jais are moving on to Bonac Loop. And uh, love that. They're like practically neighbors now. That's wonderful. And... Uh, talking about leaving stuff behind in Kenya and giving it away to come here because God wants you here. You know, you just give it away. You know what we would have done? We would have gotten a storage room. 
and put all of our stuff in the storage room. And then when we got back, it would have been there, and you gave it, you gave it away. And you knew Christ called you to that. I mean, that, if Christ tells you to give it away, will you give it away? Or do you hold on to it so tightly because it's your riches? Let me read the First Timothy passage again. Uh, Paul says it in, a, in an awesome way. Um, 1 Timothy 6.17 Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who, here's the word again, richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God richly provides things for you to enjoy in this life. Just don't hold on to them like they're your real treasure. And then he says, uh, Command those rich people to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share In this way, they'll lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age and so that they may take hold of a life that is truly life. So either I value treasure in heaven or I value my treasure on earth. And you can't be Jesus' disciple if you value treasure on earth. You can't do it. I think then... As far as I'm concerned, hopefully we've taken Jesus as literally as we can here. The question is now, how are you walking in your discipleship? Let me close with this. Let me close with this. Uh, can we pull up the verse, uh, John 15:16? Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Uh, stay in the one before. We'll, we'll get there too, though. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I think that has great implications for predestination, but I'm not going to go there this morning. <laughs> but culturally speaking, culturally speaking, what is Jesus talking about when he says that? Because I could preach like this, and you could walk out and go, what a failure I am. Because <laughs> I love my stuff, and I value people a lot, and I don't want to do things that are hard, you know? You can walk out and be really beaten down by this kind of a message. Let me end it like this. You didn't choose me. I chose you. How did rabbis, Jesus is a rabbi, right? He's a teacher. How did rabbis choose disciples back then? Well, they didn't. They never chose their disciples. That's not how you did it. How you did it was, you would grow up, and you would go to a religious school, and you would start learning, right? And and in your learning, oh, got a great quote for you. Here's what they would do. Let me pull it up here. I love this. Uh, Rabbis would say, um, uh, they would debate about when a, a kid should start learning. As rabbis like to debate everything. They ask questions, you know. When should we start training children? Well, here's a quote from a rabbi. Under the age of six, we do not receive a pupil. From six upwards, accept him and stuff him with Torah like an ox. Okay? Okay? Six upwards, we accept kids and we stuff them with Torah like an ox. Because Torah is the good stuff. I mean, literally, that's talking about Genesis through Deuteronomy, but in a more general sense, it's all the Old Testament. And so kids from the age of six would, would start memorizing Torah. 
Torah. Either way, I've heard both pronunciations. They start, they start memorizing it. In fact, I heard about one, um, one guy, uh, uh, Ray Vanderland, who uh, is studying in Israel, and he's with this group of, of students, and, and he's like, I'm with this group of students studying in Israel, and, and every single one of them had memorized the whole Old Testament. That's today. Today. And he was like the only one who hadn't. That's got to make you feel awkward. And uh, so as a kid, you'd start studying, and then you reach like 10, 14, and, 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 and you would get older and older, and you'd keep advancing if you were good enough. And at some point, if you were good enough, you would find a rabbi and say, can I follow you? Can I learn from you? Can I sit at your feet? Bring up the next quote, if you would. This is from the Mishnah. Uh, Let thy house be a meeting house for the wise, and powder thyself in the dust of their feet, and drink their words with thirstiness. Now that's either talking about one or two things or both. That you would have your house be open to rabbis and the wise to teach, and you would sit at their feet, their dusty feet, and you would learn from them. Another expression that came out of this whole idea was that when you were, when you were a disciple of your rabbi, you would follow them, and you would follow so closely that they would say you could be covered in the dust of your rabbi. That as you walked with them, that's what Jesus did, right? He walked around, and he would kick up dust, and if the dust got on you, that was a good thing because you were following your teacher, your master, that closely. So they'd say, be covered in the dust, of your rabbi. Follow him that closely because you want to talk like him, pray like him, eat like him, do life like him. So, if you had memorized Torah and you were one of the best of the best, you could go to a rabbi and say, could I follow you? And that was like a, a prestigious sort of thing. It's like getting into Stanford. It's like getting into Harvard. Like you've hit the big leagues. And if they said, yes, you're in. But a lot of times they would say, no, you know, you're not, they do like a little test, right? They'd ask you questions. And if you didn't meet the qualifications, they'd say, go home, get married, have a family. This is good and pleasing to God. Go. And so they would go. They'd say, you cannot be my disciple. Jesus chooses fishermen. The fishermen don't come up to him and say, oh, please, can we please study under you, Rabbi Yeshua? No. That's not how it worked. He came to them and said, follow me. So you've got to imagine this is, this is an amazing moment to be asked by a rabbi. Like, that never happens. So you think about James and John, and they're in the boat with their dad, right? They're mending the nets. They're just fishermen, which means they're, they're dropouts. They didn't make it. They never made it to Harvard, you know. Sorry, just go back to your life. It's good to fish. Do that. And Jesus comes up, follow me. And, and you, you shouldn't picture the dad being like, crazy kids leaving me here, mending the nets by myself. No, it, it's an honor. It's an honor. And so they left the nets to follow Jesus. And then we read about them and realize how much like us they really are. Peter, I mean, we all like talking about him. Thomas with the doubts. I mean, you, you have these very real stories about uneducated fishermen 
being disciples of Jesus's. And then think that he called you. He called you. You didn't call him. He called you. And so maybe you hear a passage like this and you say, I got a lot of places to grow. And that may be true. Disciples did too. So just keep following Jesus. Keep reading about his life. Keep asking him what he wants from you. And be covered in his dust. Worship team, if you would come up. We're going to have a time of reflection now in the last few minutes we have together. Um, we're going to have some pottery going on up here. We're going to do some worship. And uh, I just invite you to consider, out of what you've heard today, what is Jesus saying to you? How's discipleship going for you? Can you be a Christian and not a disciple? I mean, have you ever thought about that? Like saying, I'm a believer, I believe in Jesus, but can you be a Christian and not a disciple, a fully committed follower, covered in dust because you want to be just like him? Would you just consider what God is saying to you this morning about your walk? Let's pray. Jesus, um, Isn't it wonderful, Jesus, that, that even though you call us to a high standard and set the bar so high that you also tell us that your yoke is easy and your burden is light, that being attached to you changes our perspective on things. You also tell us that you've called us to be your disciples, that you wanted us that you're the shepherd that goes after sheep and we're the sheep. And you brought us into your fold. So great shepherd. I pray you do that shepherding work even now. Help us with see the areas that we have refused you and not picked up our cross. Help us see the people that we've valued more than you. Relationships that we prioritized over you. Help us see the things that we call our riches, the things that we love, that we possess. Help us love you more than all these things. In your name we pray. Amen.